good things happening. Okay, hey, y'all look great. You get extra crowns in heaven if it's under, if it's below freezing and you come to church. So congratulations. I know that is a fact. Okay, way to go. Um, so many good things to celebrate, talk about, but I want to get into the Word. Okay, Philippians chapter 1. You know, we, we make it a habit to go through books of the Bible. And so Chris and I will be, Pastor Chris and I will be kind of preaching through this. And uh, before I get too far, happy MLK weekend. You know, I am so grateful for Dr. King's legacy of creating change through peace. You know, instead of, uh, you know, all the, instead of studying warriors and different political leaders that, that had gone before and trying to do it like them, he studied Jesus and did it that way. So I'm so grateful for his legacy, grateful uh, to be celebrating that this weekend. Okay, Philippians chapter 1. It's going to be a minute before I get there. It doesn't normally take this long, but it's going to be fine. Okay, so we see Philippians. So the Apostle Paul loved this church. We're going to see over the next couple of months. Uh, and we know, of course, that when I say church, we're not talking about a building or a meeting, but the church is a people. Okay, we are a church. And so Paul loved these brothers and sisters. He loved these people. It's actually the only letter that he didn't correct or rebuke people. Okay, and so Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, all these other letters, he gets onto them about something, even 1 Corinthians. And in fact, Corinthians, he got onto them twice, I guess. Okay, he yelled at them pretty much. Okay, so he would always correct. But when he writes to Philippians, he's like, I miss y'all. In fact, every time I think about you, I just start praying. I love you so much. Okay, so that's kind of his tone as he gets into it. He deeply loves this church. And of course, he thanks them for a financial gift that they had sent to him. So it's, but it's much more than a thank you letter, right? Okay, so the Philippian church is facing some brutal opponents. And so he challenges them, we're going to see next week, to advance the gospel bravely, to work together through hardship, to advance the gospel in a really tough context and with joy throughout. So, you know, Paul's main theme in this letter is the gospel. That's his, the, the, the nail that he keeps hammering all the time. In fact, that word appears more frequently in this letter than any other letter that he wrote. So he exhorts them, the church, to defend and declare the gospel for them to live lives worthy of the gospel, to have a gospel unity as a church. And so Paul's going to flesh that idea, that word out a good bit for us over the next couple of months in our study. But, but I say we get on the same page here. So what is the gospel? Right? And you would think that'd be an easy question to answer, especially for a room full of Christians. A, a Christian pastor speaking to a room full of Christians, you'd think that we would all be on the same page very, very easily. That would be an unnecessary conversation, right? Uh, it's like asking you know, a room full of carpenters, what's a hammer? You know, a bunch of doctors together, what's medicine? Or a bunch of college students, and you're like, what's Taco Bell, really? Like, what's the <laughs> core? Got them. So the gospel of Jesus Christ stands at the very center of our Christian faith. And we Christians claim to be above the gospel, above everything else. And so it's what we intend to found our lives upon, our center our church around the gospel. It's what we hope those on the outside hear and accept, right? So let me relay to you the summary of the gospel that the Apostle Paul gave the Corinthians. He said, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that, here it is, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's Paul's summary of the gospel. The good news of our faith is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and then rose uh, again. So that's the bullseye of our message, okay? It's why we're so big on baptism and the Lord's Supper here. We're celebrating the gospel, you know, baptism particularly. So you die with Christ. It's a picture of going into the water, being buried. We don't hold you this long. And then you come back up, you're being raised with Christ. It's a picture of 
the gospel. And in fact, we're baptizing Emmy next week. Okay, so we're going to see that, in fact, right here next week. If you want to get on in that action, talk to me, Connect Table today. We can, get you, we can get you going. So, you know, there are all kind of implications to prioritizing and emphasizing the gospel, the centrality of the gospel as a church, as a people. So a weak gospel leads to weak worship and a weak evangelistic witness. It lowers our eyes from God to self. Right, A weak view or incorrect view of the gospel cheapens what God has accomplished in Christ. So the biblical gospel, however, we just experienced that as we sing living hope and grace in the garden. So we, we just experienced that the real gospel, the true gospel, the biblical gospel is like fuel to the furnace of worship. Right, The more you understand it, believe it, the more you come to adore Christ for who he is and what he's done in your life and in our church. You know, the gospel is a stark message. Right? It, it steps on toes and truths into our and especially the world's thinking with some bracing and some sharp truths. And regrettably, there's always been a tendency among Christians to kind of soften the edges of the gospel so that it's more readily accessible to the world. But at Redemption City, we may, may we never domesticate or soften this great gospel. Ever, ever, ever. If there's anything in the world that we cannot afford to ignore, it's the voice of God saying, Good news, here's how you can be saved from my judgment. That's the kind of announcement that demands attention and cannot be left out. Go look through Romans, 1 Corinthians, the sermons and Acts. The earliest Christians structured their gospel message around a few critical truths. They would first go to the bad news God is your judge, and you've sinned against him. And then they would go to the good news. But Jesus died so that sinners may be forgiven of our sins if they repent and believe in him. People often quote Tupac. Tupac, And they'll say, only God can judge me. You're quoting Tupac when you say that. Only God can judge me. But the reality is people don't even want God to judge them today. You know, Uh, So people even today, you know, they might say or maybe just think, yeah, deep down, God wishes I was different. He wishes I'd done a couple things differently, but God is love, you know. God is love. Yes, absolutely. God is love. Wonderfully so. But those who don't bow their knee to him will not be protected from his wrath. And this is the sobering verdict that the Bible has for us. There's not any of us who's righteous, not even one. Okay, the Bible says that the best good work that I could ever muster up is like filthy rags when compared to God's true righteousness. The best thing I could ever do, if I put that in a box and compared it to God's true pure righteousness, it's like not even comparable, right? So imagine, so one of our young single guys, let's say he takes a girl on a first date. Okay, you remember that? And so beginning of the night, he opens his car door for her. Way to go. And then they get to the restaurant. He does it again. He opens the door for her. Part of that's because he wants to be a gentleman. We got good guys here. They want to be chivalrous. Part of that's because they want to kiss her later. <laughs> so even the good things we do, there's some sort of ulterior motive. There's some kind of agenda that we have because even the best thing we do is tainted with sin somehow or some way. But compared to God's true righteousness, God is really purely holy in that way. So what may be the most powerful word in the English language, it's just three letters, B-U-T, right? It's a small word, but it can sweep away everything that's gone before it. The plane went down, but everybody's okay. Your son was in an accident, but he's fine. You stink, but you can take a shower. See how some of you needed to hear that today. So thank God that the bad news on human sin isn't the end of the story. Here's the rest of the story, but Jesus stood in your place. 
He died the death that you should have died, that I should have died. He paid the sin debt that we could never pay. And he rose to life in victory of our sin. That's the rest of the story. If y'all want to amen, that's fine. It's really, so, and I promise you I'm getting to Philippians, even clapping, okay, extra crowns for y'all too. So uh, I promise I'm getting to Philippians 1, but even before we get to Philippians 1 and we march through Philippians for a couple of months, I got to take you to Acts 16. I really want you to read Acts 16 later this week, okay, because it's how, it's when the church in Philippi actually started. You know, Paul and his crew, they would go on missionary journeys. They went on a few and they would go from city to city across the world and start a new church where there were no churches. And then that church would multiply and grow, and now we are here today. And so on one of Paul's missionary journeys, uh, he went to Philippi, okay? And so there were, of course, no churches in that region. So Philippi was a Roman colony. You may be into Roman history, surely. Okay, so uh, Philippi became famous as the place where Mark, Antony, and Octavius defeated Brutus and Cassius, who killed Julius Caesar. Okay, it's kind of a big deal, okay? So citizens of Philippi, of course, were, were citizens of Rome, right? And so Philippi really wanted to be like Rome, even in their architecture and the styles and patterns all across the city. So in fact, if you would have walked through Philippi in that day, you would have gone, this really reminds me of Rome. That's really how it, that was the feel. So Paul and his missionary team get to this city and they begin to engage people. This isn't the last time you'll hear me, this, you hear me say this, but what they didn't do is get there and start a church service because they were planting a church. Okay, so American church planting oftentimes will move to a city, we'll start a church service, we'll send a big mailer, and we'll get a big crowd of Christians. That's not, what, that's not how Paul planted churches. He would first, so what American church plants do, they'll start a service and then make disciples and then engage the city. But what Paul did was he, he went and engaged the city, engaged people far from God, and then he made disciples, and then they would plant a church and start a worship service. So that's what Paul did. So, um, okay, all right, let's get to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, two separate offices, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God and all my remembrances of you. Every time I think about you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more and more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Paul starts his letter by describing his joy in prayer. You see that his joy and his prayer really go hand in hand in his life. So as Christians, you know, we have this kind of countercultural view of joy, right? So we're, we aren't against pleasure and satisfaction, although some Christians come across that way. We aren't against those things. We just simply have other sources than money and power and entertainment and, you know, career advancement and these things that Pastor Chris mentioned, of course, earlier as well. 
a foundational question that you have to approach in your life is, where do I source joy? Where, where do I get joy from? Paul's like, every time I think about y'all, I just get so happy. I just, I'm overcome with happy feelings, and I just start praying. And I, it, makes me question, it makes me ask the question, where do I turn when I'm glad? What do I do when I'm overjoyed, right? So do, what do you do? When, do? Do you yell hooray, jump in the air? Do you get good news or, or have this kind of feeling like Paul has and then call your mom and celebrate, call your best friend and celebrate? Paul prayed. In a moment of celebration, in a moment of being overcome with gladness, his first instinct was to pray. And so Paul understands his relationship with God so deeply that when it's time to celebrate, to savor, he bows to pray. So maybe there's a new habit for you there in 2024. I'm big on goals and action plans, not just goals, but then how am I going to accomplish those goals? So maybe one of your goals in 2024 is to grow closer with God. That's great. How? It doesn't just happen on its own. So maybe a new habit that you can form is every time you have something to celebrate, every time you're overcome with gladness, like Paul, you bow to pray and you celebrate that way. Our God is personal. We miss that so often. Pastor Jeffrey was saying it. We, we miss that our God really wants to be up in our lives. He, he's personal and in our lives. He wants to hear all of it, all the things big and small in your life. He cares about what's going on with you. You got to hear my five-year-old pray sometime. His name's Judah. He's the best. He's, he's a sweetie. And so he'll pray for a new Nintendo Switch game. He'll thank God for how good this mac and cheese is in front of him because he's already snuck a couple bites, you know, and he'll just enjoy life with God. He'll just talk about his stuff. And so do we think God's up there like, Judah, man, I'm busy up here, bud. Like, I got Gaza and Ukraine. We got a presidential election this year. Come to me when you got some real stuff. No, of course not. God delights in those little conversations with a five-year-old. You know, he hears my little buddy praying, and he's like, ah, I love the relationship that we have. You know, and he hears you praying. I made an A on the test. Okay. God, I love my church so much. Did you see how well that interview went? And he hears those little celebrations and he loves it. He really does. So what's a habit that you can form there to, to jump even more deeply into your relationship with God that when it's time to celebrate, when you get overcome with gladness, that it's God that you talk to first. Paul continues in verse five. You know, so I pray like that because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So there he's talking about the joy of partnership, the joy of what we are in the church together, this joy of partnership together. So what does gospel partnership mean? And what does it look like too? So that Greek word there is koinonia, okay? It communicates the idea of fellowship, partnership, co-laboring. And so on this word, D.A. Carson talks about how if Johnny and Sam were to buy a boat together in the first century, that's how they use this word, if they were to buy a boat together and start a fishing business, they were in koinonia. They were in fellowship, partnership together. So we're partnered up. We're, we're co-laborers with each other as a church. You know, our concept of fellowship today, I think immediately that word takes our minds to like hanging out, which is fun. That's definitely part of it, but it's way more than just socializing. And so it's, it's both friendship and mission, but like deep friendship, committed friendship, co-laboring partners. And so gospel friendships are deep, you know, because our point of commonality, are, there's not peripheral things that we just kind of have in common. Like we both like the same sports team, we both like the same food, so now we're friends, okay? Our point of commonality is Christ. He binds us together in partnership, in friendship. So it's interesting 
and, and important, when you, see, when you read Acts 16 at home this week, you'll see this, but uh, we, when we see the first few disciples made in Acts 16, as Paul is starting the church in Philippi, this huge city that's going to multiply across the world, the first three converts are Lydia, who was Asian and wealthy, a slave girl who was a native Greek and very poor, and a Philippian jailer who was Roman and a blue-collar worker. Three different ethnic groups, three different socioeconomic classes, and this is who God starts his church in that part of the world with. Uh, Paul didn't try to get three families who were exactly the same so that they could be on the same page quickly. Paul didn't get his vision board out and go, okay, I want like a billion Christians in a couple thousand years, so we really got to be careful who we start with, right? I, I want to get three families who can have real unity because they, agreed on, they agree on all this stuff. That's not what he did. So fellowship, partnership doesn't downplay or remove our differences, right? We're still different colors and have different preferences and have different backgrounds, and that's great. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a good gospel thing. It's just that now we put the gospel first. We lift the gospel most high. And so because the Philippian Christians loved the gospel, they were co-laboring loyal friends with each other. Uh, so now we enjoy our differences and work to not let them become divisions. One of our missional directives here as a church is we unite around the gospel. That's our rallying cry. That's what we unite and center ourselves around the gospel. So instead of uniting around common preferences, which is how the world does unity, Right? That's how the world does friendship. We both like skateboarding, let's be friends. We're both from the same political party, let's partner up. We're, we both make about the same amount of money, so why don't we let's hang out? That's how the world does friendship. That's how the world, the world bases their unity on flimsy stuff like that. But our unity is deeper. It's better than that. Everything we do is because of what Jesus has already done. We believe that Jesus was God in human flesh, that he erased our debt of sin on the cross. Jesus did what none of us could do so that, he, so that now we can experience the life that he really wants for us. Everything we do and say is anchored in that gospel story, and it's the only hill we'll die on as a church. We unite around the gospel. As you might know, uh, Redemption City has partners, not church members. We do that on purpose. And actually, we get that terminology from this text here today. Partners just simply don't die on any hill. They, they don't die on a hill that isn't the gospel, right? And so if you want to become a partner, in fact, we have a new partner pathway. We're trying to find the name of that still. It's a, it's a members class, basically, but we're not calling it that. So if, if you want to become a partner at Redemption City, you, you go, hey, I've visited. I've been around for a while now. I'm ready to give, serve, do, join a group, all those things. I'm ready to really commit. We have one of those coming up February 21st, I believe, okay? So you can sign up for that all around the place. So now, if you want to become a partner, of course, if you were formerly part of South Hills, if you're a member at South Hills, you're a partner in Redemption City, there's nothing to do there. It's all good. But if you've been coming since, you know, if you've been coming since the YMCA, or you haven't joined and become a partner of Redemption City yet, we'd love to have you with that class. February 21st. And so, you know, Redemption City exists because the lostness here is crazy. You know, you're not in the Bible Belt right now. There are hundreds of thousands of people right here who don't know God, who, as Pastor Chris was mentioning, they're looking for hope. They're looking for to source their joy and all these different things, and none of it's working. I mentioned this when I preached here at South Hills a couple of months ago, but my, my buddy Cole, my middle son, uh, just finished the baseball season. And so the whole thing in hitting the baseball is to keep your eye on the ball. 
Everything else, so if, if you keep your eye on the ball, everything else could go wrong. You could do everything else and still get a piece of the ball. But if you take your eye off the ball, you could do everything else right and miss the ball. We have to keep our eye on the ball that there is lostness all around us. That people all around us want, they're, they're looking for, they can't put their finger on it, but they're looking for Jesus. They're looking for the hope and the grace and the mercy that this world is never going to give them. The world is brutal. They'll cancel you. They'll move on from you. They won't love you, but we will because we know Jesus. The world, this community needs us to be the church that God is calling us to be, unified around the gospel, unified and partnered together. You know, one of the biggest cultural changes that we've experienced as a country uh, in our generation the past you know, 30 or 40 years is hyper-individualism. Hyper-individualism. I put it on the screen because with my like Mississippi, El Salvador accent, sometimes big words don't come across. So I put it on the screen for you. Okay, so, you know, so my grandparents, think about it, they only had a few television channels and they thought that was great, right? And then my parents, they had a few more channels, but you kind of had to be home when the program was on, right? Not very customized. Kids, there was a time. If you weren't home at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, you missed Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not going to play it again later. They're not going to circle back in the summer. It was over. You missed it. You don't get the, the plot lines or anything. If you, missed, if you were caught in traffic, missed the first five minutes, it's over. You missed the rest of the episode. Anyway, it was, it was harder than you can imagine. But So <laughs> my grandparents, a few channels. My parents, not a very, you know, they had more channels, but it wasn't customizable. Then my generation, we had a thing called TiVo. Remember the little noise and everything? So we had that. Then you could record and watch it when you wanted to. Now we have all these streaming services and you can't find anything to watch, but it's all customizable and you can do whatever you want, right? It's all customizable, catered experience across your media platforms. So in just a generation or so, we've gone from watching a couple different channels and each person, you know, kind of watching the same thing to this catered experience. And that's now our, your expectation for what's going to make you happy. In every area of life, my grandparents, again, they had a couple of restaurants to choose from. Now, today, you fast forward to, you can get whatever kind of food you want for dinner tonight, even delivered to your door. The, the choices are endless. Remember going to the store? Me neither. Amazon, like, <laughs> I can get whatever I want within a day or two at my house. It's customizable. It's catered experience. And so this hyper-individualism has now changed the cultures and I fear our expectations of a church, right? David Powelson, a great author, he says that the modern understanding of Jesus and the gospel has changed into a Jesus for me who meets individual desires and assuages psychic aches. And he adds that Jesus has morphed into the meter of your needs, not the savior of your souls. God help us. But what Paul wanted to get across at the beginning, middle, and end of this letter is, this is not a me thing, this is an us thing. Our faith, our church together. And what we find is that the world actually doesn't know what it's talking about. All these ways that the world promises you, this is going to do it. You're finally going to be happy. This is really going to satisfy you. It's an empty bag. Getting everything I want immediately actually doesn't satisfy my soul. Okay? The only satisfaction of the soul can be found in the church. Worshiping Jesus together. Partnering together on mission. Loving each other as a family. Being as committed as a body is to each other. Look how committed my shoulder is to my wrist. Okay, that's how committed we are to each other. And then Paul kind of gets all in his feelings in verses 6 to (laughs) 8. Let me read it for you again. 
He goes, I am sure of this, church, that he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's right for me to feel this deeply, this way about you, because I hold you in my heart. You're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment when I was going through it and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, um, let me take a moment of personal privilege here and just tell you that there's nothing like seeing your church grow together. There really isn't. I mean, yeah, I, pastors love to grow numerically. That's great. We want to reach new people for the gospel. That's great. But when I see you growing together in Christ, when I see you old and new friends, you know, joining up, and I see you posting on Instagram that you're hanging out, getting ice cream, and sharing life together, there's really just no joy like that. That's what Paul's expressing here. I love seeing you love each other and grow in Christ together. And then Paul just sort of gushes there in verses 7 and 8. He's like, and kind of the, the sense of it here is, that he's saying there is, I'm not being fanciful or weird here. I love you. I love you so much. We're partakers of grace together. He's like, I'm not overdoing it. I just love you so much. And so when I come at you and I, and I give you a hug and I tell you I love you, I'm not overdoing it. In fact, there's a verse that encourages me to, to, give, to greet you with a holy kiss. So I'm kind of letting you off easy. <laughs> if we just go with a side hug. Okay. And so that's how we feel for each other. It's like we just love each other. And church, I love you. God is my witness, I do. Right, your, your pastoral team loves you very deeply. And we're partnered up in koinonia partnership together, fellowship together. It's a deep friendship that's rooted in and saturated in the gospel. Look back at verse 6 one more time. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that Jesus who began a good work in you, will bring it, will, will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, back in school, if you remember, we got A's and B's. Shout out to my C's and D's, get degrees, people. Okay. <laughs> but you ever remember getting an I? I for incomplete. You didn't do the assignment? Uh, I got a few of those back in the day. Hands raised. Yeah, now y'all amen. That's good. Okay. Uh, I for incomplete back in school. But, but what Paul is trying to say is that's never going to happen to God. Never. Uh, God always finishes what he starts. The psalmist wrote, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you receive me to glory. Not if I perform well, not if I get an A, B, C, or D. You will receive me. Is there any better news in the world than that right there? You know, you, you may be a little unsure of things in your life. We had people last week with cancer removed from surgery. We had people, we have people who their kids are going through it. You may not know where your next paycheck is coming from. But I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through. 